Switching mediation providers might seem like a pain in the ass, but it doesn't have to be. If you're thinking of making the transition from Mopub to IronSource, we've got you covered. First, we've created a dedicated tool that removes the manual work when migrating to IronSource mediation. Second, we'll be holding workshops with IronSource experts where you can have all your migration needs taken care of. And if you want to do it yourself, we also have technical documentation for migrating to IronSource mediation in our Knowledge Center. To learn more about these initiatives and begin monetizing with IronSource today, head to www.is.com forward slash migrate. That's www.is.com forward slash migrate. Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppSlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppSlyer's customer experience and engagement suite, powered by a reliable deep linking engine, lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppSlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to appslyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. recording already well now i have to cut the first part <laughs> that was a quick counter <laughs> anyway um welcome everybody to a podcast episode discussing on how to kill a game and pivot successfully before we we get into the content i want to introduce the uh the guests the speakers on this podcast so uh first we got sophie vo back on the podcast sophie head of studio at voodoo berlin also founder of Rise and Play, a knowledge sharing platform for leaders in the gaming industry. Hi. Sophie, welcome back. <laughs> All right, and then Nicholas Herriger, also back on the podcast. And um, you're based out of San Francisco. You're coaching startup CEOs, CTOs, co-founders, tech leads, executives, investors, both in the US and Europe. You founded before, uh, before you started coaching, you founded Gondola that was then acquired by Tilting Point in 2019. So that's your uh, painful experience with gaming industry. It, it was back. a lovely experience, <laughs> but thanks for having me. Yes, glad to join. Yeah, it, it was a painful. Let's let's be honest. It, it, Founding journeys are always painful. Nature of the game. <laughs> painful. So uh, today, they don't have to be, but sadly they are. Uh, but the topic of the day, as I said, like killing. Uh, oh yeah, and for those who um, most of you don't know me, so I'll just introduce myself. Uh, Mish Gutkov, CEO of Savage Game Studios, founder of Deconstructor Fund, which is also a knowledge sharing platform uh, with an entertainment twist nowadays. <laughs> I don't know why, but <laughs> I just like to say it. Anyways, uh, so the topic is very important and and something that uh, I unfortunately have experience with, and you have a lot of experience with. So. I don't know how we're going to structure it, but I wanted to hear Sophie's story first of your experience of, of killing a game yeah. and kind of like, how do you um, see this? It's actually a great timing that we are having this talk because I was thinking of writing about it, uh, which takes much more time. So it's actually better to talk about it and it's recent. Uh, 
because uh, two years, years ago, when I was talking about building the studio, starting our own game, I think also we went public with our game. Well, surprise, surprise, we killed it as well. And uh, we are not continuing the game we were working on and talking about last year. And so it's the perfect timing starting this year to also talk about it. Um, so yeah, about the killing of the game, I think there are several elements to it uh, I can share. So we were working on our merge game, Plantopia. And uh, maybe looking back now, thinking mm -hmm. of this game, it has uh, been more of the first project that uh, bonded and created the team. Maybe that's more the way I look at it now. And uh, we train, uh, we formed a lot, our team on it. Uh, we took an opportunity in the market when it was, it made sense. So merge game were not like that saturated as it is today. Uh, but a year after, as we were still soft launch, uh, improving the metrics, etc., very different space. And uh, the question started to come like, okay, after a year of development on a game, um, you also start to look at the energy and the belief of the team uh, on the game. Will it be great? Will it fly ever? And the context of the market. There are these different questions that come into the mind when you start to ask yourself, especially as the lead of a team of a studio, is this how we are uh, spending our time at best? And I think this is the f really the key point. Um, when you start to ask yourself these questions, of course, there are signals of the market, uh, but some projects you know, can go on for years and you can just persist and <laughs> over iteration and iteration pivot and so on, you uh, break through and we have seen that. But in the end, uh, mm -hmm. it's more a personal question as a team, as the leader of a team is like, do you have stamina for it? Do you have a belief? And do you believe that this is where you should spend your time now with the context uh, it is for your team and the market? And that's the place we found ourselves. Uh, of course, I can go in detail of like what has happened and so on. Uh, and how did we pivot or take it from there? But I wanted to give a context as well. How has it been for a studio? And uh, something maybe I wanted to share uh, because this word uh, killing is it's quite brutal, right? And even these days, like people cringe when they uh, uh, hear this mm -hmm. gay, uh, this word killing. Uh, something we did as a team before we didn't even know if we would continue or not the game. We knew we had um, a, a milestone uh, review discussion with stakeholders. I would make a decision at a certain date, but we uh, planned in our calendar a celebration party, no matter what happened if we continue with the game or if we don't. And we committed to this and we were there. And actually, instead of being a sad uh, grief, uh, I don't know, yeah, party or feeling sorry for ourselves, it was actually amazing. Uh, and we, it, it came the day where I announced and shared that we would not continue with the game. Um, and that was a, an experience that was very positive, like a rebirth instead of something that should be sad and where, again, you have a lot of regrets. Mm -hmm. So for us, it, it has been a great experience. It has bonded even more the team. And we came with more energy and learning for the new projects that I can also talk about, like what did we learn? Um, uh, how we, did we approach development uh, from that? It was almost a relief, actually, uh, when I made the decision. So uh, it was a, actually quite a positive experience and not as, as, as brutal as sometimes we write about because uh, nothing came as a surprise at this point. I talked about it six months before, three months before, a month before, a week before, a few days before. So everybody knew that it was 
possibly coming. And for any new game that we are doing, it's always on the line and it should not be ever a surprise. So mm. people are prepared mentally and are not um, getting too attached because this is the hard thing to, you know, the game emotionally and uh, think about what's next. So instead of thinking of just one game, think of the 10 games you will make. And that helps to also stay detached of that particular idea you're working on. Yeah. If I can riff on a little bit before before I let Nicholas go, like I think I think you mentioned several really interesting points. So so first of all, like we yeah, yeah kill like let's I just like using the word killing because it's just you know red lighting and all those kind of stuff is like not the same. You know I think killing a game is very easy because games tend to fail. Like most of the games fail. Let's be honest. But what is the most hardest thing and what you've succeeded with is killing a game without killing a team. And I think that's that's really the. Uh, the kind of foundation because every studio is really about the teams. It's not really that much about the technology. It's really about the people there. And, and the longer you keep the people together, having them shipping games or working on different projects, moving from one party to another, the better that studio becomes. Uh, and the risk that I've personally experienced, and I'll go probably through my story in the last one, is like, is, is losing the team while you're trying to pivot, while you're seeing these very clear signs for the market, like you're unable, this is not a smart investment. All the logical points are against continuing with the game development, but quite often it's very emotional as well because people have invested so much time and so much effort and, and passion, and now they end up in a situation where you, if you do the killing in the wrong way, you'll just lose the team, and then you're at ground zero essentially. Uh, so, um, lots of interesting thoughts here. A couple of those I want to comment on. So first of all, um, I think the term killing is somewhat <laughs> brutal. I think the reason it has established itself is because it is supposed to emphasize that, that this is like we're not leaving like the back doors open or something. We are making the decision to actually move on from this game, from this project, from whatever it is that we're working on, uh, rather than, oh, yeah, we're putting it on the back burner and all of that. I think killing says that okay we're shifting our focus once and for all onto something else and uh, and we're moving on from this so yes killing might sound brutal but i think it's necessary um another thing you both talked about that i can very much relate to is the attachment uh, it's just like th this old dilemma right so first of all whether you're an, a founder of a company or whether you are you know part of a of, of, of a very motivated team um you really work yourself up, right? You immerse yourself in this project, in this game, whatever it is that that that, that you're building. Um, you you bring a lot of passion to the table. You're trying to incite passion in the people that work with you and for you, and uh, and this is all necessary in order to fuel the development and to really go after something. And then when you're getting to the point that you're realizing that this is not working the way it was supposed to work. And, and I think, you know, as a side note here, we should probably talk about, you know, whether it is advisable, you know, to, to set success metrics before you embark on a journey rather than, you know, trying to figure this out along the way, which is a mistake that I've been guilty of several times in the past. Um, then uh yeah so you you have all of this passion and then all of a sudden you know you have to stop it you have to kill the game and you have to move on and as you said mishka um how do you do that without really demoting uh, or demotivating uh not demoting but demotivating everybody that was so passionately working on this right like how how do you get them that engaged or even more engaged for the next project, um, I think that's a big challenge. And um, why I certainly do not have 
as much game development experience as you guys have uh, from this you know last company that I founded and ran. Um, we also had several pivots. One was particularly brutal because we set out to evangelize the idea of dynamic pricing for the games industry. And we were actually quite successful at evangelizing it because we came, became very attached you know, to this term and we became mm -hmm. known for it. And then a couple of years down the road, we realized that the term in itself was tainted, that it would scare product managers, that, that you know, the idea of you know, doing price discrimination in a game, whether it you know, worked mathematically or not, we had all the proof, but it would scare people. So we, we really pumped something up just to abandon it later and then pivot to something else. And that was really hard. And in retrospect, I can say because it was so hard and because we were so passionate about it and because we wanted to persevere on all of these things, we we pivoted too late. We should have done this earlier because um, it at some point wasn't a surprise, mm. you know, like the metrics were very clear and we were getting the same feedback over and over and over. But we didn't engage in the pattern recognition because we were so attached to what we had built and that made it really difficult yeah it's the challenge of, of that strong self-belief and and kind of pushing it through versus versus uh listening to singles so both of you have like you know nicholas doesn't like killing and and killed too late or pivoted too late and sophie killed perfectly so let me be the the person who has not done killing right and so that we have a nice balance of of, uh, of success and failure here so i'll be the failure like the way i'm the way i usually uh, construct the killing is is kind of looking at killing so red lighting however you mean it like when you look at the project number one is velocity like is the team able to deliver on milestone so that usually is a pretty important kill gate the second kill gate that may arise is the, from the market like sophie mentioned there's new competitors there's disruption or a fundamental shift in the market like you know uh, I don't know. Uh, like if you build like strategy games and, and Clash Royale appears, and now nobody plays Build and Battle, that type of stuff. Or just simply you're in the market and you're not able to reach your CPI goals. You're not able to reach your retention goals. You're just not able to make the the uh, the LTV versus customer acquisition um, formula work. So that's of course a killing. What are you also? What Sophie also mentioned was the uh, the conviction part. Uh, this is something that. Every studio that I've, I've been at, I, I like to do the questionnaire that, that essentially gouges the conviction uh, on, on either quarterly or even monthly basis. And that is really like how eager the team is to defend their game. Because if they are not you know, eager to defend what they're doing, that means we're done. Like nobody is, you know, nobody's manning the station. So, so let's, let's move on. And then the final one, which is equally as important, is management or funding. So... If you don't like, if you're running out of funds, and or or if there's a new management or the existing management simply doesn't believe in the direction or in the strategy that was set either by previous management or a couple of years ago when when the market was different, then that's a kill gate as well. And I think those are kind of the the, the four ones that I tend to look so velocity, market conviction, and management slash funding. Now let me talk about a bad killing experience. So, um. Uh, I was a head of studio and I killed uh, uh, a game that was just stalling. Like it was just in, it was just poor development. It was just not going well. That's fine. Everybody was tired of it. Nobody liked it. And it was a, it was a nice nice mercy kill. I came in kind of as a new person to the uh, to to the project and and was able to say like, hey, the uh, you know the emperor doesn't have any clothes and the game was done. So out of the ashes of that team uh, came in another team and. The, uh, the junior 
that they had a, a game lead who wasn't even a game lead before. He was quite junior, but he got the team excited. And they were really quick to prototype. Through that, they were able to pick up momentum inside the company and also did the right thing of kind of getting everybody to play and get everybody talking about that game in early phases in development so that they got, you know, got the, uh, the management talking about them, even though they weren't officially greenlit as a, as a game to be. So kind of like a guerrilla marketing strategy that you can use in a, in a corporation. Now, as the months went on and, and the things changed from early prototyping into actual pre-production and, and you know heading off towards a production, things stalled again. And there were some weak team members on, on the team. Um, in, in, I don't mean you know personally weak. They just they just weren't at the uh, at the quite the level that that you need, and they didn't have all the experts that they needed. And hiring was very slow, so it took them a long time to get some of the key hires done. And during this time, the market shifted. There was another competitor that emerged and essentially took over the market. So the game had no hope. They weren't moving forward as fast as they need to, and the market that they were aiming for essentially evaporated during that time. That also led to, to the fact that the new management that, that changed during this time didn't have strong conviction in what they were doing and kind of approached it not from the perspective of seeing this team rise from the ashes and come up with prototyping and move fast, but just looked at it as a new team and said, like, well, this is not a very strong team. They, haven't be, you know, they have been doing this for quite a while, not understanding why it has been such a long time. And what they're doing doesn't really make sense because, they again, they didn't have the history of why they were doing such a game because the market didn't look like it did back then. So it was very logical to end this game. And the way I ended it was the wrong way. So I ended it in a very logical way. Like, hey guys, the, here are the cards on the table. Like, what are we doing? Like, doesn't mean sit, let's move on to something next, to something different. Let's start all over. Let's do something very exciting. And that, of course, led to, over the time, lost of majority of the majority of the team members inside that team because... They didn't get to. They did not get to um, prove that they could have done it. It was done for them, and that was probably the worst killing of a game experience I had because I essentially uh, destroyed all the value that had been built over the time as this team worked together. So, what would you do different next time? So, not a good experience. So, what I would do different is what Sophie was talking about. So, uh, one one thing is important is creating a structure of a very clear milestone gates so that there are very clear deliverables that are um, discussed in advance. Uh, the second part is, um, so that, that would have been one, that's, that's easy, that's, that's not a big thing. The, uh, the second part was, was defending the team even though it wasn't logical because I did not quite comprehend uh, how dangerous it is to kill a game for the team and just thinking that they will move on something bigger and better uh, when in fact, from their perspective, it felt that that they don't have the ownership of what they're working on because a game can be killed underneath them based on words. So the things that to be differently is explain this to the management to uh, to make them understand that I'm not stupid. I can see it, the same things, but the value of the team is more important than saving a couple of months because we won't save any months if, if, if we lose half of the team. We won't have a team to pivot to another, to another project. So I would have rather uh, had a stronger focus on how can we validate what is being done makes sense. Like, yes, logically, it might not make sense, but hey, maybe it could. 
what does it take us to enter some sort of market validation, whether it's a Google private beta or, or, or other type of uh, scenarios where we can actually test the marketability as well as test um, the viability and the engagement of the game done. And that would have given a totally different type of a closure to the team, I believe. They would have seen either that the game is actually performing as they hoped or that it's not performing as they hoped and it doesn't make sense to continue with it. I want to jump uh, on what you uh, just uh, shared, Miska. At least for us, I think the ownership of the team, I mean, we have this model also from Supercell, I think, where, you know, the team decides to kill. It's not really the case in many companies. Uh, I mean, as far as I know, where there's always a board or some stakeholders deciding. And something that, let's, let's mention let's. this as a reference on the paper. Um, and that's something also I was, I was actually... That was an inspiration, whether it is happening at Supercell or not, uh, to give it a try where um, uh, when we had these milestones and we were discussing the metrics of the games, I've, I shared, so we shared that through Memo. I shared that very transparently with the team at each gate. So I think we would gather every two, three months with the goals and metrics and the progress. So we passed several milestones like this, but we were always like a bit borderline. So the team always knew about it. And uh, as, mm -hmm. as Nicholas mentioned as well, having clear uh, kill criteria or uh, like this is not making the case, then there's no surprises. And basically sharing the knowledge with the team where you just agree on common sense, right? Here with the team, I was showing the whole business case, the financials as well, how much we were co uh, costing. Uh, you know, it's not something you share a lot with the team. Like we cost already that amount in a year so now we are more negative here and here and this is the business case we are building with this projection over i don't know the next years even if we get there which is already a stretch it will take uh x amount three years to pay this back or cost of development and are we invested in this game to work for the next three years do we believe in it are we ready to go through the waves as we have been going like there's so much still to improve so when the team start to think uh, like yourself as the lead, of, of course, they don't have a final decision making, but everybody is intelligent and can comprehend, of course, uh, this level of business information. So sharing more. And then we re reach the same conclusion, right? So from when I, I announced the decision where I explained all the reasoning and I have explained it already for several weeks, giving all the information, nobody could argue against the decision because we know why we're here, we know our financial goals and so on. So uh, it's putting basically the team not exposed directly to the stakeholder discussion, but like very transparently. And we know how much we and we address it as a business. And that has helped a lot because in the end, uh, I came to the meeting as well mm. um, at Vodou with the stakeholders with the decision to kill. So in the past, I would try to defend and, and try to be against the leadership and like make the case why uh, we should continue it. But in this, case, in this case, I put myself in the place of a CEO. It's like, would I invest if I were the CEO in this game and why and with uh, which metrics? And then being honest with yourself, having this inner dialogue, I came like, okay, I actually personally don't feel like continuing. I think we will better use our time in the next six months trying four or six prototype, whatever, than maybe trying this. And even if we manage, it will not be as big as maybe starting a new project that can scale, uh, etc. So um, 
in the end, the stakeholders uh, and the CEO, nobody um, was imposing a decision on me because I made the decision and there were actually counter challenges to challenge me. Are you sure you want to stop? So it's really interesting is when you come with a decision to kill, nobody is stopping you. And actually people are trying to convince you to not to kill it. It's like, uh, what is happening here? So then we have we are having a constructive debate just to make sure that I make the right decision. So it became more an advisory board discussion. And I felt I was owning the decision at the end of the day. And with the team, we were all aligned. So it felt great. And then there was no resentment and uh, th that's why there was no so thoughts from the team to uh, disperse or leave a project or even the studio because uh, everybody was behind the decision and they would have made the same decision as I did. So that's also the powerful thing here um, to share this level of transparency and information if you have not tried. That's uh, Nicholas, I actually wanted to hear your opinion it's on, on the uh, being transparent about the budget. Now, I... It's 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 pretty like I understand it to some extent, and I'm just thinking about like how is it a good or a bad idea? I understand it in a, in a terms of uh, a rich company like Wudu, like you know, you know, you, you spend a couple of hundred thousand here and there. That's that's nothing. But in a context of startup, okay. like like so Nicholas, what do you think? Old, like, what's, what's um, your take? I I, I, I just took some notes here as with, you guys were Sophie. talking, and the very first term I wrote down was transparency. <laughs> now you asked me about mm -hmm. transparency. Um, I, I think there, are, mm -hmm. from my point of view, there's no way around it. Um, whether that really means you know you, you're 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 showing every single dollar and cent and what's going on, you know, yes, I, I can see something like that. But um, if so, if, if 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 we zoom out a little and say this team and this company is bigger than this individual game project we were just working on, right? And so there's more value in this team staying together as a coherent, you know, driven unit. Um, then you you have to you know very much consider like what are what are the cornerstones in in order to get out of something like this in style. And and I think Sophie has just given us a really really good example of how to handle it as opposed to how to not handle it. And uh, and transparency, I think, mm -hmm. is so important because, um, you know, great leaders really show themselves not when everything is going dandy. That's fairly easy. Great leaders show themselves when the shit hits the fan. And um, a great leader in a situation where you have to kill off a game, where you have to make a dramatic change um, in, in the organization, whatever it is, you know, can also mean, you know, oh, we have to fire 20% of people or something. But whenever something that dramatic is happening, a great leader is somebody who defines reality for the rest of the team, right? Because eventually everybody's going to be a little skittish and people are insecure. They don't really know what's going on and all of that. And, um, and, and not knowing what's going on, feeling insecure and all of the, those things, that's almost mutually exclusive with, you know, being creative, being confident and, you know, driving something forward. So rather than, you know, beating around the bush and bullshitting, might as well tell them exactly what's going on and give them faith in you in the company and in the you know vision that's going on so have people understand what is happening and why um, i think that's really really crucial as far as the transparency goes now 
agency is another thing that you guys mentioned, and I wanted to quickly respond to that. Uh, I think agency is equally crucial, and it's it's an extension of the transparency. Make the team part of this process. Give them agency. Have them come to their own conclusions. Whether you agree with these conclusions or not, different story, but help them come to their own conclusions. Um, that can't be done with leading questions like, don't you think this game is doomed, right? That's not a helpful conversation. That's not fruitful. Um, it, it, it has to be more in the spirit of, how do you interpret this data? Um, what, are, what are our options at this point? Uh, if you were in my shoes, right, what would you do? And, uh, and even if there are a lot of different opinions, it's much better to get them out in the open uh, and discuss them rather than to just overrule these guys, not give these guys a voice and just say, hey, this is what is it, you know, no questions asked, you know, starting next Monday, we're going to be working on something else. That's not a great way to, you know, keep a team together and keep people motivated. So that's the agency part that I think is crucial. Uh, another one that I always uh, have to bring in is empathy. Um, it doesn't matter if you're a product manager, if you're the studio lead, if you're a programmer, if you're a graphic designer, or if you are a, uh, you know, UA person or, or, or somebody, you know, who takes care of the community. If you have been working on something passionately for months or years, and now that is getting canned, that is tough, period. Doesn't matter if it's the right decision or not. If you have been really investing yourself into something in any of these contributing roles and that stops, that sucks. Um, and I think it's helpful to acknowledge that. And it's helpful to tell the graphic designers, you know, guys, I, I know you've created all of these characters and all of this great art and, and now it's all gonna, you know, never really be published. And you, you guys poured yourself into this and I know this is really hard and I'm sorry doesn't cost you anything and it makes them feel heard and understood and that goes a really long way when it comes to hey how about you guys create a couple of new monsters for our next prototype here you know and in order to dilute the feeling of yeah why am I gonna pour myself into this again just for all of that to go away six months later and then the last thing I wanted to say which I also think is very important in killing a game and pivoting uh, is how, how do you structure this moving on process um, I think you guys both touched on, you know, the idea of a po post-mortem, um, like, let's all sit down and, and determine what have we learned, right? So what went well with this project? What didn't go well? What assumptions did we make in the beginning? Um, which of these assumptions turned out to be true? Which of these assumptions were, you know, proven to be wrong by the data? What are our beliefs at this point? What do we want to try next? Um, What's our time frame for our next project? Like, like how much time are we allowing ourselves for, for, you know, this test period, this prototype, whatever it is that we want to build? And most importantly, and that goes back to, you know, the thing that I wish I would have done many, many years ago, what are our success metrics that we are measuring ourselves against, right? So it's, it's so much easier to determine, you know, what actually makes the cut and what doesn't before you get super involved and, and fall in love with your project. Then if you try to do this when you're six months in and there, like all of these are the forces, you know, that pull you back and forth between, yeah, yeah, but I know, but I already we spent so much time on that, right? Like the sunk cost idea and all of that makes it so much more difficult. So as far as negotiating the success metrics with yourself and with the rest of the team, that's a very easy discussion to have ahead of time. And it becomes really, really difficult uh, once you're deep down in the rabbit hole. So that's the, that's the last thing I wanted to add here. I love it. I, I wrote this down. So transparency, 
agency, empathy, learning from the past and setting steps for About future success. The, the after postmortem or, or when you decide wow. to stop a project, kill something, <clears throat> but it's maybe less tactical in the postmortem. I think it's more also team mindset. I see this tendency I've seen also in my career quite a lot when we Uh, stop decide to stop a project we have of course because it's it's an uh, ego thing where you have invested a lot in a game and uh, you want to believe it's the best game in the world and etc uh, and i i see this also i have had that attitude where we tend to um, blame external external factors so it was the market um not you know like it became saturated or the leadership blah 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 And this is not helping for the next project because you carry on the same mistakes. And I think something at least with our team through the postmortem, it was first uh, letting the team organize the postmortem. Usually it's the producer or the lead organizing. It's like by craft, each craft would self-organize and make the postmortem and present to the rest of the team the findings. So it was <clears throat> instead of a postmortem, it was more a collection of all our past mistakes and the things we shouldn't repeat. And it was a big humbling exercise where I was repeating to the team, I don't want to hear because it was the management, because it was the time, because it was a lack of this. We we were in this as well and we have to own what has happened. What could we have done and what we, do we have control on? So uh, be honest with ourselves. And I think this is one of the most important exercises when we do this, um, looking at what went wrong to own as well the, the mistakes we made and like that's on uh, on us versus the market and we always have factors but uh, we can decide to be in this market or not you know and also uh, see the signals quickly and pivot earlier etc etc so i think there's something with the attitude before jumping to a new project to have over, over also this humility uh, to accept okay there are things we didn't control but there are mistakes we've done it's not just because it was the management I don't know, I've heard that as well in some other companies. It was the team, it was the market, and then I'll do better next time because there will not be this external factor. So internalizing the mistakes. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, honestly, like like even like you mentioned, like not blaming anybody or anything, that's really important. I, but I usually blame the team leadership, which I'm always a part of. Like, <laughs> I, think, I think all the mistakes happen, like majority of the mistakes, if not all happen on that level and then everything else just cascades from it. So it's kind of like the, uh, it's the source of all the mistakes. So that's why the, uh, I think retros are so, um, you know, difficult because in the end it's like, it's your mistake. Like everything that happened, whether you can, you know, you could say it's management, but it's really your communication towards the management. Uh, it's the market. Well, it's really that you didn't, you didn't understand the market correctly or you didn't move fast enough and when it comes to communication or the team member you know one person did this and one well you should have let go of that person earlier or you should have hired um you know another person for this role like everything is in the end the leader's role which is which makes it so yeah. <laughs> so painful there's something definitely with the pride so. of a team that is touched when you have to stop a project right and it's uh, like nicholas mentioned like empathy And there are things that are, I would say, cheap to do to help grief and transition before a new project, like making a ritual when you decided to stop. It's not something shameful that you have to hide. And then, you know, it's like some others succeeded because, of course, we are more vocal about the success story, but nobody is like shouting out loud, like, okay, we stopped the game because we just didn't make it. 
uh, but creating more rituals uh, around it. As for example, for us, for Plantopia, what we did to, that actually was so meaningful for the team, but cost really nothing for us as a studio and budget, uh, printing an art book. Like we did uh, that with all the art and we just uh, distributed it actually uh, the beginning of the year. It's a few hundred euro and it, it's nothing, but it means so much because you spend a year yeah and and then it's like we were like going through the pages and it's like wow we've done so much and we went through the whole cycle we started something we self-launched it we scaled it we did live ops and then like we did the 360 and there's always a way to look at things you know from the bright side and instead of thinking oh we didn't make it we went through the whole cycle but very quickly in a year and not so many studio and team together can go through this so that was another way to look at it so there's always a reframing you can do in your mind because it's always about perspective and perception. And as a leader, you can create the narrative you want to tell about what has happened, you know? That's why the word killing can be brutal and it can be seen as a failure. But there are so many stories you can tell about what it means for you as a leader or as a studio. What was this first project that we stopped? And, and for us, uh, the main analogy f uh, where I was telling the team, it doesn't matter if uh, this first game, Plantopia, didn't make it because the main product we created was not this game, but it was our studio. It was the team. The team was the product. So we are ready for our next iteration. And, and that's the main thing that remains through time. The products, they come and go. Some scale, some don't fly, some, you know. But the team is the constant. And I, I think that was the way to see it. It's like we uh, upgraded, we leveled up together and we will use all this, this, I don't know, uh, perks for the next project and so on and so on. I love that. I, I, I love, yeah, two it's, of the really things dope. that, that yeah, Sophie just said. Thing. First of all, the idea of doing this, this, you know, this photo album almost to speak, you know, to say like this yearbook, like to, to memorize, it, it is, yeah, what, what a fantastic idea. I, I really, I really like that. And, um, you know, I, I wish I'd had some of those on my shelf, you know, to look at a couple of years later, you know, show to the grandchildren and all of that. No, but all joking aside, I think that's a great idea. And, and, and also like, you know, for the team uh, to have that memorial uh, memorialized. And then what you said, uh, Mishka, I think actually you both guys, uh, you both said this, you know, this tendency to blame external factors. Um, one thing that I want to throw into the mix here is the question, and we've touched on it before, but how do you actually define success, right? And I think in defining success in every single, certainly business situation, but you know, not to say every single situation in life is, you need to really differentiate between things that you can control and things you can't control. And if you actually focus on that, it is staggering how many things that could define your success you actually do not control. Do you control the market of the players out there? Even if you have like kick-ass UA and you think you hacked it and all of that, do you control if people actually download your game and if they do, for how long they play? And if they play for a while, if they actually spend? No, you don't. Not at all, right? So while that is very important because eventually we all need to make money and uh, you know this needs to be worthwhile, um, going back to what Sophie said, you know, the team is the product as opposed to, you know, an individual project or an individual game. Um, I think that's very, very important. So differentiating here, you know, between the things you can and can't control, you know, subjecting yourself and, and, and you know, the feeling of success exclusively to results like oh, what's our revenue, you know, what's our chart position, what's the number of DAU, 
what is our D30 retention rate and all of that. That's very, very fragile. And um, and it I think it also goes back to, you know, blaming external factors because, hey, there's nothing I could do about those. So um, if you do this exclusively, you will almost certainly create disappointments for your team, which then discourages your team. And uh, which, from a business point of view, is not a good decision because the, the, the big assets that we have in the game industry is, you know, the people we have working on a, on, on a game and, and, and for a company. So that's something that has to be, you know, cherished and nourished and, uh, uh, you know, be the priority of what it is that we do. So the takeaway, I think, is focus more on your process rather than on the market response. And I think Sophie has, you know, laid this out really nicely already, right? So how did we get to where we were? You know, what is the decisions we made along the way? What assumptions did we make? You know, what did we see with the data? What could we have done differently? And based on what we have learned, how can we evolve and iterate on our process as a team, you know, as the product that is the team in order to put ourselves in a position where we have a higher chance of success uh, next time around. Um, Supercell has been mentioned here before. I think, you know, they have a very specific way of going about this also, you know, celebrating the killing of the game and all of this. But I think they have understood early on that in order to like nobody has hacked the ultimate formula how to be guaranteed to make a you know successful free to play or console or whatever game yet um if if, if that was the case we would have you know seen it by now um so your 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 best advice if you really focus on the process of game development and all of these different factors that are involved in order to improve your chances of success and going back to what I what I said, uh, you know, just a minute ago, let those improvements in the process and the understanding of the process and you know the, the what elements of this process you control and how you can um, how you can iterate on those, let those be a big part of the success metrics that you subject yourself and the team to, as opposed to just what the market response eventually will be, because there's you know, very little control you have over that. Yeah. I wanted to kind of switch gears and talk about the, uh, the successful pivot because we've been talking about killing for half an hour. So, Sophie, I'm, I'm very, you know, and, and as well as Nicholas, I'm very interested in here how you guys pivoted successfully because I, I you know, when I think about like my successful pivot, I, I clearly remember I was, I was running a studio and um, this is a short pivot. We were making a game. And then uh, a certain Supercell game came. It was very similar, but a thousand times better. And I remember it came into soft launch. And then we just downloaded that game. And the full day, we just played that game, like, nonstop. And then the next day, we had a meeting. And we're like, we need to pivot. Like, Can you disclose which of the, of, of, of the very well-known Supercell game but this, just a lot this one better. was? It was Brawl Stars. Okay. <laughs> This was Brawl Stars. This was Brawl Stars when it came into soft launch. Yeah, we, we played it nonstop and we kind of like tried to find some holes. And yeah, there were some holes, but we were like, this is, but, but this is, you know, we're, we're kind of the same, but worse. <laughs> so, so, and, and maybe that was also like the transparency and everything was so easy because everybody just understood it. You know, we <laughs> played it eight hours straight and we didn't have to have a, you know, like should we or could like it was a just a very straightforward everybody went to the kitchen we sat down 
And I was like, I think we should pivot. And everybody's like, I think so too. <laughs> and that's it. So very successful pivot, but I had nothing to do with it. So thanks for Supercell for making a very successful pivot by just pushing us out. <laughs> Uh, but but uh, yeah, but so Sophie, here, like, how are you approaching? Talk about like after you decide to stop or whatever you're doing to yeah go to the next thing, right? Um, so for uh, us, of course, uh, when I knew or I saw that coming as well, that uh, sorry, the, the cat muted <laughs> muted my microphone. <laughs> I I know this is not possible, but actually she did. Uh, sorry. Um, she, she just uh, put her paw on it. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, when uh, when uh, yeah. I decided to stop actually Plantopia, I had, to be honest, zero idea of what we would do next. So I was thinking, first, uh, we need to close this game properly because we had players, we had revenues and so on. So it would keep us busy. So it was kind of a slow transition. Like, okay, we decide to stop now, but we are not stopping tomorrow. Let's work still on it a few weeks, make the plan of how we close it. So it kept people busy to just accept and grieve because this is part of a process. You know, when we say kill or there's a death of something, a loss of something, we have to accept. And sometimes management, they say, okay, when can you start next? Like, this is, we are not robots. It's not possible. You have to grieve and give the time for people to accept the news, move on. So we use the weeks where we were closing uh, the game, um, wrapping things up, making postmortem. It was a few weeks and it was a good time to just process and for me to also figure out what to do next and, and share a plan. There was also something else that uh, uh, forced holidays. I said, I'm going to take two weeks off. I encourage everybody to do the same because I don't know when our next holidays will be like the good timing. So of course everybody did. And so we had two weeks off to just digest. And you know, it's like, that's what I, I like at Vodou, the trust also that uh, they give me to organize our time. We are not saving anything to just jump on the next train quickly without the learning processing what the mistakes we've done. So actually a month happened before we started something new. Um, and then the pivot, I, so from an energy of death, uh, where, you know, like, okay, we stop something, we are not very inspired, then I like to go with something very different from how we've been working together to create the energy, the momentum again. So we went uh, with opposite of what we were doing. So we were looking, okay, we, it took us uh, between uh, development and soft launch a year with Plantopia, Look at how CPI has evolved. That was the main findings. Like, let's not have this happening again. So we said, let's go for quick projects. And instead of like going for this uh, three, four months production, actually, that was the time of production we had for Plantopia. We said like two months, uh, let's really something quickly in two months. Uh, so very short time frame. So then it, you know, it's a different exercise for the team and it's using all the things we have done before, but in a new framework. And also different type of games, so different box. Um, so we, we moved away a bit more from casual to go more in uh, what we've seen has been working, smaller projects that we can build piece, uh, piece by piece, what we call hybrid casual, and then scale it uh, progressively. So it's, it's not here to talk about the product part, but more let's, let's change 
um, I would say, the mindset of what we've been doing. So then it renewed energy and motivation and inspired creatively people. So that was really interesting as well. Instead of saying, let's do another merge game uh, that has a, di a different theme that would have not been so inspiring. And actually, all this energy was put into um, this new framework. And instead of going for one game, we all invest in. Uh, I divided the team in two teams and uh, we would uh, build more a game factory instead of focusing on one game. So again, focusing more on our system as a studio and as a team. So what we are building next is not uh, the next game, but it's more our system to launch a prototype and uh, test quickly uh, 10 games for next year, for example. So we build a base project, which was very exciting for developers. Uh, how do we templates of art, templates of UI, etc. So we can build games quickly and test like, uh, so it, it was really changing strategy and also taking over learnings of what we have had that make the team really excited of ongoing there. And they were not so attached anymore into let's make a big casual game that looks polished and like, oh, let's make something that look hyper casual and maybe not so nice quality-wise, I didn't have any of this comment because everybody is focused on the process and system. So that's how we pivoted. And I'm surprised myself how well it, it turned out because we would have started this way. I don't have, a, I would have a team behind because they would be really um, skeptical about, oh, it looks like a hyper-casual game. It's, it, when you went through the mistakes and you know how hard it is, every, nobody was arguing this time, let's make a game faster, let's be more hacky, uh, pragmatic on using uh, existing assets and put it together and test ideas quickly. But we had to go through uh, the, the kill of working and struggling on a game for a year so everybody would be committed to now working this way. So that's what I meant as well by the iteration of the team. It's part of a process to kill a game. And would I do this differently? I would just kill a game earlier, actually, if I were in the studio with a new team, because it's just part of the evolution and not to be attached too much to the first game because it's not about the first game in, in the end. It's, it's about how as a team you work and more effectively and do what makes sense, but you always have resistance at the start. And people need to learn with their own mistakes. That's just human. Yeah, Nicholas. Okay, folks, let's take a little break from the conversation. Talk about your post IDFA cross-platform strategy. More specifically, how you're going to monetize that sweet console and PC audience of yours. Well, here's where Player One comes to the picture, providing a huge revenue opportunity for developers and publishers. In fact, it's the only engagement and monetization platform designed to reward free-to-play console and PC gamers. Now I know what you're thinking. Players don't want to watch ads on console and PC. Well, that's actually not true. According to extensive surveys with players who are playing the most popular AAA free-to-play games, Player One found an overwhelming desire, 77% to be accurate, by gamers to have an option to earn free in-game content in exchange for watching 15 to 30 second advertisements. Now, the second thing you're thinking about is that you don't want to show other games to your console and PC players. Well, Player One got you covered once again. Firstly, the platform lets gamers decide if they want to watch TV quality brand sponsored videos inside their favorite titles in exchange for cool in-game items and awesome content. Secondly, as I said, Player One's inventory is purely of TV quality 
brand sponsored videos. So you won't have to worry about churn or build segmentation profiles. Plus, given the fact that the majority of free-to-play players on PC and console never actually spend any money in the live service area of those games, Player One is providing a way for developers and publishers alike to help their loyal players to get access to all the additional content that's being created while maintaining their games economies. Player One is fully optional for players and completely respectful of game flow. And for developers, Player One has been proven to drive retention, lifetime value, and additional revenue, all while maintaining monthly active users and reducing churn. Everybody wins with Player One. Gamers unlock immediate rewards, developers enhance the playing experience and generate passive revenue, and brands connect meaningfully with the most passionate audience in media. Visit playerwon.com to see how it works in practice or Get, go to the link in this podcast description below. Now, back to the episode. Yeah, well, for first of so all, you know... Can you tell know, about uh, your pivoting experience? Uh, uh, yeah, because this is up, awesome. Thumbs up for Sophie, like, for, for what she just described, and, you know, how they emerge from the situation. I think this is, this is yeah. you know, I mean... I, there are a lot of different ways to skin a cat, but I think this is awesome. I mean, for, for, for me, this, this sounds, like, close to the ideal... You know, this the, the spirit of we're not building the next game, but we're building a system. I actually wrote this down here. Like we're building a system that will allow us to build and test the next 10 games in a year. Right. It's, uh, this this is, sums up in a sentence was I was trying to say in 10 sentences before. Right. You focus on your process. Right. Like, so what have we learned and, you know, and where do we take this? And also, as Sophie said, while we all want to believe this, oh, we have this magic idea, you know, whether you're an author that writes the book or you make a game or whatever. So you always have this idea. Oh, yeah, this is like ooh, super, super, super secret. And it's going to take off. And rarely ever does that happen, right? It's uh, it's it's the evolutionary process, and it's like all the iterations, and that's what's going on. Another thing that Sophie just said that I think is is important is this grieving uh, period, right? This like okay, so if we killed it on Friday, we can't come back on Monday and just you know start and you know build something awesome here. This is just not going to happen. Um, I think that's very much the the idea of you need to slow down in order to speed up, right? You, you need to really take your foot off the gas, you know, let everybody calm down, you know, also, you know, get a little bit of, of, of distance to, you know, what has happened, you know, so that you get a different perspective, allow yourself to zoom out um, the old thing with the forest and the trees. And um, and so some kind of a grieving period where you say, hey, so this just happened. Let's all slow down. Um, we are not really jumping into the next project right away. We're not even really discussing yet what the next project is going to be. I think that is a very good business decision. And um, and then last thing I wanted to say, and this is something that you said earlier, uh, Mishka, is um, you, you said I always have this tendency you know, if something goes wrong, to blame the, the, the team leadership, which I'm usually part of, right? So essentially, things tank. Look at me, you know, yeah, I'm so sorry. I screwed up. Um, I'm the source of, of, of all the bad, or we are the source of all the bad. And I think that is in many ways, you know, a, 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 a great attitude. Um, because the good thing is that you're really trying to shield your team, you know, from the criticism and all of that. And you, you say, hey, I'm, I'm the single throw to choke here, you know, and, and eventually, you know, this was my decision. And, um, and, and, and so I, I should be blamed. Um, 
that's the good part. Um, the downside is, and I've seen this several times in my work recently, if you overdo this, and that goes back to the grieving. Um, so if you overdo this, oh yeah, all blame is on me. You prevent people from assuming responsibility for what happened, right? Like you, you prevent people from going through the process of actually reflecting on, so what, what could I have done differently? You know, how did I contribute to whatever the result was? And um, that is something that I think is very important uh, in order for team members to grow based on, uh, on a setback. And we all know, you know, the biggest growth always happens when things or after things go wrong. So be careful in assuming all the responsibility. I'm not suggesting to do the opposite and just blame, you know, oh yeah, Joey and Nancy and, uh, and, and Peter did all of these things <laughs> wrong. Um, but maybe just talk about, hey, this is why I assume responsibility, you know, what I definitely, you know, didn't do wrong. But don't say just, you know, uh, uh, you know, with a broad, broad brush, you know, this is all on me. Um, let people come to their own conclusions and, uh, and let them assume responsibility for whatever they want to re assume responsibility for. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I quite often tend to say that, but, you know, in, in maybe in a leadership setting rather. Uh, because I want to have yeah. the culture of people not blaming the team members. Uh, I I really don't like that. And, you know, it's very easy to go into the neg negativity because, oh, Joey, oh, Nancy, oh, she sucks, oh, he sucks, oh, we need better this, oh, we need better that. And it's just like, that's that's a spiral that never leads anywhere. So it's more like, it's just, and, and it's such a cop-off from, from, what you're doing to blame either your own team members or the team members of somebody else. The same thing as, as blaming management. Now I know there's crazy management and so forth, uh, but it's just it's just not productive mm. because you can't do anything about it or blaming the market. It's like, well, it is what it is. So so you kind of have to move on. But I want to challenge one oh. thing. I finally found something that I disagree with the two of you. And you said, take a time off, don't jump on to the next one. In my experience, jumping to the next one has been invigorating and it's been exciting and it's been like the prototyping is the best part. Concepting is the best part of game development and kind of having this lull, maybe it's just me personally, but having this lull in between of killing a game and be like, you know what, I need to go and look at the lake for a while. Personally, that doesn't work for me. Like I'm, you know, I'm the type of guy who gets knocked out and be like, I want a next fight tomorrow. Like I'm sure we can get we can get this done. So that's where I kind of disagree. And in my experience, I've had good experiences with not taking the break, but just kind of like rolling over to the next one. I don't know. Like, like have you had negative experiences with that, or or is it just like you've had positive experiences with taking a break? I'm not saying taking a break is a wrong thing, but I'm just saying like not taking a break. I haven't seen I, I can it to be a negative to, thing. Yeah, on, I can too, but you, you go first. <laughs> okay, thanks. Um, for me, there are two factors why uh, uh, I cannot jump uh, immediately. So first, I think it's more I check the pulse of the team and I see fatigue. So there's just there's <laughs> there's nothing we can. I don't I don't mm. want to push them. Um, and it's more like a long uh, marathon or long-term uh, thinking. It's like it's not because I have energy, but I can. I understand what you're saying because I I could technically jump uh, quickly from. Usually, as it is, we always have this stamina because we have to, so we never rest, right? But that's not the case of everyone, and 
Mm -hmm. I've seen by uh, experience as well, people who just stretch for too long and too far and either they just, you know, snap. So they, they just uh, jump off the boat completely because it's just too much. Or then they are gone for a longer time at undesired time. So actually forcing to rest is, a, for me, a good thing for the team, especially this fatigue where we try to pass several milestones and like always this roller coaster. Do we pass or do we kill? And uh, more for me personally as a, as a lead, I have no clarity or no vision of what I want to do next. So I would not feel comfortable or confident to jump on something to just get busy. So that's more my way as well, where I need distance and take a step back. So holidays, time off is not really time off for me. I say time off, but we all know these things. Like as long as your brain is like functioning, you're not really, <laughs> you know, so it's like time away from the computer um, but in the end it's more thinking what's next and that's how i came up more with the system of our game factory if i because i took this distance but otherwise i would have just jumped on the next game so that depends as well i think it's mm -hmm. dependent on your style but for me i wouldn't see it any other way yeah i just mentioned like it wasn't like that i come in with the next idea i just like to kick off ideation right away oh at the same time as you're doing post-mortem almost uh i just like i i don't know maybe it's my insecurities or whatnot i just want to be like on to the next one let's move on let's learn from this one and let's have fun let's get back into the uh the you know the birth of a project because i've just seen so many games come from ashes and pivots that ended up succeeding uh without a break and that kind of stayed with me it's like just you know move forward have you know let's drop everything and kick it off it's like restarting a paint a picture or a painting. i have a lot of empathy for the urge to jump because. right back in because i mean who really wants to bathe in in, in you know the sorrow of something that just uh, you know went wrong like you know like how much fun is it to commiserate it's like okay exactly. we, we're not allowed to do anything you know for a couple of weeks and all that two but, weeks but that's, i'd go I think, crazy where the benefit is, um, because th that's what you're describing Mishka, right like so rather than you know doing this and like oh wow now finally i get to put all of these you know other ideas i have to paper and let's see what comes from it and and that is exciting mm -hmm. and interesting and yes and, and i think it, it is part of this process so i think it makes a lot of sense what what makes at least as much sense as what sophie just said you know where um you know taking a break uh, as she just said you know as long as you your brain is still wired and all that you're not really taking a break but at least you're taking a break trying to take a break from the computer from that discussion all of that because there is just a lot of benefit in your own processing from the passage of time, right? That doesn't mean you don't have to do anything. And I think we also have to differentiate here between like, what, what, what does mm -hmm. jumping right back in mean, right? Is it is it like forbidden to tinker around with ideas, you know, and yeah. to create something and, and to think about, no, absolutely not, especially if mm -hmm. that helps you process, right? Like for the one guy, this is what helps you process and the other guy, you know, goes in, in, and joins a, a pottery class for three days and this is how, how I process. The next guy goes on a run or, you know, sits at the lake. Um, but I think processing is important. And then um, I, I think it's just very, it's crucial not to have this idea. It's like, okay, 
now that we've you know wasted these six months and all of that money on working on this and this and this and this just failed you know we have to make up you know for that and jump back right in and 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 do all of these things that i think where it's really important to you know focus on you need to slow down in order to speed up afterwards and um and you need people to give you need to give people a chance to you know process themselves come to their own conclusions um do their own grieving and uh, and also assume responsibility and then just see what comes from that and i think there's a big 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 opportunity you know when you go through this valley um in in coming up with uh with stuff that has a has a lot of potential to eventually succeed and i think this is also what you're saying Mishka, where you say like i've seen so many great you know successful games you know coming from the ashes and from a pivot and then all of a sudden it worked but i think that's a big part of it mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's not advisable you know, to kill something on a Friday and on Monday say, okay, this yeah. is what we're going to do next and here's the schedule for the next six months. Um, I, I, I think that, that that's a recipe for, for, for failure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, may, may, maybe we're, we're, we're picturing it in a different way. So what, what my ideation means is just like, all the processes are off. There's no dailies. There's no nothing. Like you can work like every day is a Friday at Google, with, right? At you can do whatever like, you want. Let's go yeah. through ideas. Let's play games. It's Fridays let's... at Google yeah. for a month. <laughs> it's Fridays yeah, at awesome. Google. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, so 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 that's what I meant. I didn't mean like, hey, here's a new plan. Here's the new, you know, log into Jira. I got tickets Green for news everybody. Channels so created. Let's let's go. The sprint yeah. is already going. Let's... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, it meant it, what I meant more like like you know, all the all the processes. But that's a fantastic opportunity, just right? And this is where we can all like, slow down because there are no let's, more daily chores. Yeah, yeah. I think we're yeah. talking about the same thing. You know, or maybe they, we were like, talking oh, about the same. Wow, things. we don't have to do live yeah, ops anymore. Kind of, Screw these stupid campaigns, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just like let's think about something <laughs> new, and then people will actually have a lot of ideas, and they can work together. All right. <laughs> yeah. Sophie's cat is getting anxious because we're over time. So let's go through like the, uh, the, the final stuff. Like I wanted to just ask, like, what did you learn during this chat? Actually, I'm curious because I, I can just kick it off. I, I, I personally uh, truly enjoy talking to the two of you. Um, great, great, great uh, notions. Like, like Sophie, your experience is fantastic. And and Nicholas, the way you kind of like summarize everything with the transparency, agency, empathy, learnings from the past, setting steps forward, so forth. That's that's fantastic. And and kind of like the key learning, if I have to pick only one uh, from today, was what Sophie was talking about, the transparency. I think that's not, not, not actually transparency. I'm not a fan of transparency. I'm a fan of clarity, not transparency. Uh, but what I, what I love is the way you explain how you took the team on your level and you're also yourself on the level of a CEO. Uh, that shows a lot of empathy, and that shows just fantastic approach to to communication. Because after that, you know, everybody sees eye to eye because you kind of lifted everybody to the to the same level. So, so that was um, that was a fantastic point, and I may or may not take on that advice. <laughs> I will, let's be honest. Uh, anyway, anyways, uh, did, did you guys, uh, what were the sort of points first, that, that you took uh, away? Niklas, go, go, go ahead. All right. So, uh, yeah, for me, uh, so the term grieving has never really come up for me in these kind of circumstances. 
Um, so so and 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 that in many ways just click with me because that is really what summarizes what I think needs to happen, right? And and what 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 ties into a lot of the you know stuff that I said earlier. I think that is very important and and grieving is a is is a good business decision. That's uh, my number one big takeaway here. And then the other one, I mean, it was super enjoyable to just, <laughs> it sounds bad, just like, oh, you know, your hard stories, you know, very enjoyable to listen to. But no, I, 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 I mean this uh, in, the, in the sense of, um, you know, it just to, to get this kind of context and, and, and you see what it actually is to be in the trenches because I haven't been for a number of years. And then what Sophie said about, you know, we, we, we after, you know, we, our, our kill and our pivot, we we didn't set out to build the next game, but we set out to build a new system that will allow us to build and test multiple games in a short period of time, right? So this is what this team and this project is about. It is not about one specific game. It, it's about a system. It's about a concept and how we think about game development and how we carry this out. And, uh, and that, as a conclusion of, you know, the Plantopia story and what happened, I think is awesome, right? So um, yeah, definitely big takeaway for me. Uh, thanks. Um, then the takeaway for me is definitely this discussion. I'm so happy that we have had. So thanks, Miska, again for inviting. It's perfect timing. Um, and uh, it <laughs> makes me reflect a lot uh, discussion today on uh, when thinking of killing of the game like what is the main thing what is the goal of what we are improving and in the end it's the process and the team right I've, i never thought about it that um, when you kill a game it's actually a team also uh, usually disperses and companies especially in all the learnings are lost and <laughs> which is uh, silly when you think about it it's really uh, counterproductive but that's the reality of what happens and in the end uh, the win of that is like you're improving your process permanently for the next thing and so on. The, the things we talked a lot about and, and the team is perfecting their methods and so on. So that's that's the main unit that should continue and should not be killed in a way. So uh, not tr trying to preserve too much the game, but the team is the main thing to cherish, uh, nurture, uh, because it's the thing that uh, without it, there's no games anyway. And we know how hard it is to build first a, a functioning team and how much time it takes uh, and money. So that's the main takeaway or reminder of that. Uh, it's about the team. I'm going to go as far to, as to say like the team is the, uh, that's yeah. the golden asset um, to, you know, get it back to business and out of, you know, schmoozy, you know, other kind of, of discussions, you know, to, to, to all the managers and CEOs out there, you know, think about what really makes your company run and what you need in order to crank out your products. And it's like, if you, if you don't have a team and a coherent team, you essentially have nothing. And, and, and as, as Sophie just said, it, it is so unfortunate and also so expensive if you had a team that came together that worked well together that had you know all of these shared experiences and learnings and then afterwards it disperses so all of these things you know that you have invested in you know time and money you don't get to uh you know see it through and uh, and, and and rake in all the benefits down the road um so you should do everything in your power that you can in order to keep these guys happy and on board and motivated and um, 
sounds like you're doing this really, really well, Sophie. So uh, I, 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 I want to see where you guys go. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, uh, let's finish up this podcast. And in the next podcast, we're going to talk about how to build a great team. I think that, that would be a that would be that would be something that I really want to hear how, how Sophie has, has done it and and also Nicholas um, your experiences on that point as well. So thank you so much for for joining and thanks everybody for listening. In the description below, you can connect with Sophie. You can connect with Nicholas. Both of them are professional coaches. <laughs> yeah, Sophie, yeah. You're let's, like let's a, you're like a part time coach for now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and um, and you know get much deeper conversations with the two of them. So thank you again for joining and thank you again. Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you like this podcast, please do leave a comment and share the episode. If you want to access the Deconstructor of Fun community with hundreds of senior games folk, go to our website and apply to the Slack group. And if you want to get notified of all the new content we have coming out every week, do subscribe to the weekly Deconstructor of Fun newsletter. Finally, do remember, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys. Catch you next time.